0: Amen. All right, you may be seated. Um, if you are children through second grade, um, you can be dismissed. If parents, if you choose to send them um, out this back door, right underneath the children's church sign. Marianne's back there. She'd wave at Marianne, everybody. Marianne, wave back at us. There, there you go. Um, you, you can go on out. And um, while you're turning to Daniel chapter five, um, probably second only to the wrath of God. It's probably going to be the wrath of Diane Trigo, if I don't clarify something. Where is she? Oh, in the very back. Okay, so this um, this Missions Purse, what is it? This mission Purse auction is coming up November 16th, right, rather than in August. So she wanted me to point that out to you in the bulletin um, so that you can be prepared, ladies. Um, hopefully Randy didn't hear that. Um, she might go and collect several purses there. Um so babe, don't listen. Um, but Daniel chapter five, Daniel chapter five is where we're at. start off with a bad joke and see if we can recapture things uh, from there. Daniel chapter five. So Daniel chapter five is gonna build on the first four chapters of Daniel, okay? Um, and, and really what we've been seeing is we've been seeing how um, God's people interact in in culture, right? and we've been we've likened that to, how Christians, how we today Christians, how we interact, and how we are to thrive in a, in a Babylonian culture, in a culture that's hostile towards things of God. But we get to chapter five, and the emphasis kind of hangs on Babylon. Okay, they're emphasizing judgment that is to come on Babylon. Okay, it's it's not so much about God's people here. It's not so much about Israel. It's more about what's going to happen to Babylon. See. In chapters 1 through 4, we've seen pride and idolatry and rebellion. And by the time you get to chapter 5, it's gone far enough. Okay, our God, and it's according to 2 Peter chapter 3, he's patient, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Okay, we're going to see today that he is patient. He's patient. He's patient until he's patient no more. See, the fact of the matter is, God's judgment can come at any time. We get to Daniel chapter 5, and there's a new king. Nebuchadnezzar has died. It's probably two decades after his death. Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they've been in captivity along with with God's people for for such a long time. And now there's a new king. Um, And if you remember chapter 2, what God does is, is through a a dream that he gives Nebuchadnezzar, he basically says, your kingdom is going to fall. And we get to chapter 5, and Persia has surrounded um, the city of Babylon, and God's word, which is always confirmed, is about to happen whenever he says, hey, you guys are about to be judged um, for for how how you've rebelled, and your idolatry, and your pride against me. Judgment day is coming in chapter 5. We see this. So, We're going to read the whole chapter of 5 real quick. Um, If you're able to stand, if you can't for health reasons, that's fine, but but we're going to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. Daniel chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, a new king, okay? King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar his father had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Okay, so just stop for just a second. All the the articles that were used in the temple for worship of God. This king says, hey, come on, we're going we're gonna to drink out of them. It's not for God, it's for us. Okay, verse 3. Then the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple as a sign of royalty, have a chain of gold around his neck, and shall be the third ruler in this kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed, and his color changed, and his lords were perplexed. Verse 10. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall. And the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the Spirit of the Holy God, or or the Spirit of the Holy God. In the days of our father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers. Because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams as plain riddles solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he shall show the interpretation. Verse 13. Then Daniel was brought in before the king, and the king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king, my father, brought from Judah. I've heard of you, that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, they've been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me the interpretation, but they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I've heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom." Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let your gifts be for yourself and your rewards for another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and language trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed. Whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up. Whom He would, He humbled. But when His heart was lifted up and His spirit was hardened so that He dealt proudly, He was brought down from His kingly throne and His glory was taken from Him. We read this last week, right? Verse 21. He was driven from among the children of mankind and His mind was made like that of a beast and His dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox and His body was wet with the dew of heaven until He knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over whom He will. And He... And, and I'm sorry, and you, his son Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this. But you've lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. And the vessels of his house have been brought in before you. And you and your lords and your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from it. And you, and you have praised the gods of silver and gold and bronze, iron, wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways you have not honored. Then from his presence the hand was sent. And this writing was ascribed, and this is the writing that he inscribed. Mini, Meany, Tikal, and Parson. And this is the interpretation of the matter. Meany, God has numbered the days of your kingdom, brought it to an end. Tikal, you've been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Pires, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed with purple, a chain of gold put around his neck, and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. But that very night, Belshazzar the Chaldean king was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. If you ever want to know how seriously God takes your sin or mine. All we have to do is look in the Old Testament. We, we read it, and we read about a God of love, and in the Old Testament at times, He seems so harsh. But we see how serious, how seriously God takes sin. I mean, think about it. If sin, if it had no consequences, if if our brokenness, if our brokenness, if our sinfulness, if it didn't matter, if justice never came, why would we need grace? But see, it's a, if grace is so amazing, it must rescue us from something, and that something is defined by three words here: mini, tikel, pires. Meaning that he is counted. Um, that or identify the sin. You know that your sin, everything that you do, that everything that you've ever done, everything you've thought, God sees. He sees it all. Like nothing, nothing is hidden from His sight. And listen, every sin you or I've ever committed, it, it is held against us, and we're born into this. TKL, that that, that our our sins have been weighed. Um, we have been assessed and found to be lacking. He rests, that things have been divided, that we are to be judged. See, from the moment we're born, according to Ephesians chapter 2, we're born with a problem. We're born with a sin problem, that there's not a one of us that is born from apart from the need of Christ. Like, like we're born into this, and listen, before we give our life to Christ, before we're forgiven, before we... we, we, we experience His amazing grace. Listen, the judgment of God is just building on us and building and building and building. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that wage of that sin is death. It's building. It's coming for us. I wrestled with 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 how to name this, because it sounds so weird. What we're going to see this morning is we're going to see a a Christ-centered judgment. You say, what what does that mean? Listen, you and I, it's not that we just make mistakes. It's that when we are weighed and we are balanced, we are held up against a righteous God who knows no sin, who is the standard. And where we do not measure up, Scripture says that is sin, and, and yours and my, our sins have to be paid for. So, so we're going to see for in, in just for the next few minutes, we're going to see a Christ-centered judgment, and 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 we're gonna we're gonna look at a couple points concerning judgment, and then we're gonna look at a couple points that deal with the grace of God. My hope is that if you're saved, um, Romans chapter 8 tells us that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that you'll walk out of here feeling the the, the amazing grace all all over and all fresh. And if you don't know Christ, and, and you sense that judgment building, 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 that you'll walk out of here forgiven, having experienced the amazing grace of Christ. You guys with me? All right. Number one, the bad news first, and then we're gonna to get to the good news. Number one, number one. Here's what we gotta understand when we're thinking about the judgment of God. Number one, listen, man-made security won't last. Man-made security won't last. So, so here's what here's what's going on that we don't see a whole lot, but if you look at history, um, we're able to trace back. How, the, the Bible and history, man, they go so well together. They mesh so well together. And you can look back at history and see that when the Babylon Empire fell, that Persia had surrounded Babylon. And that's what's going on here in Daniel chapter 5. Persia has surrounded Babylon and, and they it's like they're trying to starve them out. It's like they're trying to take them captive. Like, right? Like Babylon, they come against Israel, remember before they go in captivity, and they surround the city of Jerusalem And what happens they starve them out. They can't get in, so they starve them out. There's no food. Um, Eventually, Israel gives up. They try to escape. They take them to uh, captivity and carry them off to Babylon. And so what's going on here in chapter 5 is Persia has surrounded Babylon. They've surrounded the the city. The Greek historians will tell us that Babylon's wall, the wall of the city in certain places was 320 feet high in places. And in places it was 80 feet high. Thick. Okay? Listen, there wasn't, a, there wasn't a weapon. There wasn't a weapon at that time that would be able to penetrate the walls of Babylon. Okay? I mean, get this in your mind. 320 feet high. That's that's like a football field length, right? High. And 80 feet wide. I mean, this is a massive wall. And listen, within the walls of Babylon. Um, there was massive land. Like, this is a huge wall encompassing the whole city. Like, like the, there's so much area within the city that you could raise crops, you could feed your cattle, you could get fresh water because the Euphrates, Euphrates River like ran right through it, like like underneath the, the city wall, bringing fresh water and fish and everything that they needed um, to to survive. So they couldn't be starved out, right? And so what does Babylon do? What do they do? This, this army is surrounded them but they're not upset. What do they do? They throw a party. Right? That's what we see in verses one through four. Um, that they're that they're that they're drinking wine and they're they're celebrating and, and he calls all the top people and, and they're celebrating the fact that the army's on the outside and that this massive wall that they built, that this life that they built within the city, they're untouchable. That's what we see in verses one through four. They throw a, a party thinking their self-made security, their man-made wall will work and protect them from judgment. You know, growing up, you know, we grew up in the country, me and my cousins didn't have a lot to do. Um, we had to come up with our own type things for fun. And so when we were teenagers, we, we figured out that um, it was a lot of fun to chase the cute little rabbits, you know, that like come out in your yard at night. We, we found like we figured out to be a, it was, it was a lot of fun to do that. And so what we would do is that at night we'd go out into these wheat fields when the wheat was just about this tall. And um, they, they would just run and we'd just chase them on the four-wheeler in the midst of these big wheat fields. And we, what we found out was that if you chase them long enough, eventually they tire out and, and um, they think that they're not going to get away and they just stop. Okay? These rabbits just stop running. what we would do is we would jump off the four-wheeler, throw a little towel on them and just pick these rabbits up that we had chased for how long till they, til they got tired. And then we'd play with them for a little bit and then let them go, all right? Well, one day we decided we're going to keep these rabbits, okay? We had, we had went out one night and we caught these rabbits. Um, so the next day, as soon as the sun came up, um, we, we're going to to build this pen to keep these rabbits in. And so we get, we get this fence, we find some fence, and, and we put T-posts, and we surround, um, build this good-sized pen, and then we get that, the chicken wire, you know, the real small, and we put it around the bottom because we, we wanted to make sure that these rabbits weren't going anywhere when they got in. And we know rabbits—they dig, right? So we couldn't just leave it with a dirt floor. So we got—we um, got these wood pallets, right? And we laid them down, and then we got plywood and stacked it on top um, of these pallets. And so we got now this—this this fence with this—with this wood floor. And we know that rabbits like to dig. And so we went and we got load after load after load of dirt that we piled up on these on these pallets. And then we—we we know that rabbits like to get in stuff when it's cold or rainy. And so. We built this little house for them to get in, and we know that rabbit's like straw. And so we got all this, this straw, and so we stuffed it in there where they could dig around in there or they can dig out in the dirt. Um, listen, the buffet that we gave them of vegetables, I guarantee you, they had never tasted anything so so delicious, so delicate. We spent all day working on this, building this rabbit pen. And the moment of truth came. Right, We grabbed these rabbits, and listen, we, we, we dumped them over into the pen, and their feet had no sooner hit the ground than they were through the gate and gone. And we were the exhausted ones so tired from working on this, this pin all day that we, that we were so shocked that we didn't, we didn't even go after them. Listen, the, what we had worked so hard to build was over like that. All that hard work for nothing. You think about life. We have ideas of how life should be built. We have ideas of what it should look like. And, and listen, maybe life—maybe your life is built on how much money you can make or, or how nice of a house you can live in or nice of a car you can drive or, or the possessions that you have. Maybe that's what you've built life on or maybe you've built life on hard work um, where you're moving up in your company and you're getting this prestige. Um, all, all, everybody's looking at you and... Or maybe it's built on family, right? Like maybe, like family's most important. So maybe you build life on family. Or maybe you build life on fun, right? What you can get out of it as long as you're happy. Um, that's what you bank. That's what you build your life on. But listen, a life not built on Christ-centeredness is doomed to fail. Meaning, meaning. Decal, Peris. History shows us that the Persians, who are on the outside, dig, dug this massive trench, diverting a river away from the city. The water went down, and they went underneath the wall and took the city of Babylon judgment can you sense God saying beware there's no human wall no human effort no fortress no man made security that can protect us from the judgment of God number one our man made security won't last number two a little church won't help a little church won't help. So see God is God was bringing his wrath that very night and a knowledge of God was eno- was not enough to help them. Okay, look at verse 18 with me. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father kingship and greatness and glory and majesty and because of the greatness that that he gave him. He gave Nebuchadnezzar all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before Nebuchadnezzar. Whom Nebuchadnezzar would, Nebuchadnezzar killed. Whom Nebuchadnezzar would, Nebuchadnezzar kept alive. Whom Nebuchadnezzar would, Nebuchadnezzar raised up. Whom Nebuchadnezzar would, Nebuchadnezzar humbled. But when Nebuchadnezzar's heart was lifted up and Nebuchadnezzar's spirit was hardened so that Nebuchadnezzar dealt proudly, Nebuchadnezzar was brought down from Nebuchadnezzar's kingly throne. And Nebuchadnezzar's glory was taken from Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was driven from among the children of mankind. Nebuchadnezzar's mind was made like that of a beast. His dwelling was with wild donkeys. Nebuchadnezzar was fed grass like an ox. Nebuchadnezzar's body was wet with the dew of heaven until Nebuchadnezzar knew that the most highly God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets it over whom he will. Now I remember when I was young, uh, my dad going in to the doctor because he had some some spots internally that the doctor was just pretty sure was cancer. And it, and it ended up not being it. But I remember for just as a, as a child being worried. And, and today I remember how I felt and, and how we were talking about it, about what could happen if it is. Daniel was reminding Nebuchadnezzar, all that his dad went through. Do you think Belshazzar doesn't remember when his dad was mad? Do you think Nebuchadnezzar doesn't remember any of that when his dad flipped his lid? Do you think Belshazzar doesn't remember um, whenever whenever his mind was restored and he gave glory to God and from that day forward he was different? You think you think that wasn't on his mind? But listen, he, Belshazzar, this king, this this Babylonian king. He knew about God. But knowledge didn't help. Look at verse 23. But you've lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. The vessels of His house have been brought in before you. You and your lords, your wives, your concubines, you've drunk from them. I find it so interesting that that in the midst of being surrounded by this enemy and knowing that it was God who delivered King Nebuchadnezzar, knowing that knowing that his dad was delivered by God, it's interesting that he brings in articles from the house of the God. Right, like it, it talks about how he's worshiping other things. He's worshiping silver, worshiping gold. But listen, the articles that he brings in are from the God. He he knew that there's something about the God different. Than anything else. And so he brings God's stuff in. It's, in, it's interesting that the moment God reveals um, His wrath is when they're playing church. They're playing with church stuff. They were mixing God with what they wanted to do. Right? Mixing a little God in with worshiping and partying and doing whatever that they wanted to do. I wonder if we do that. See, God didn't give us stuff. He gave us His Son. And it's foolish to think we can continue to choose sin over Christ. Meaning, meaning, Tikal, Pires. No doubt that there's some here trusting in number one and number two. No doubt there's some here and and no doubt that there's people in our neighborhoods and in our families and right outside our walls No, no doubt that there are people all around us including some of us trusting in number one trusting in the lives that we have built no doubt there's some of us trusting that if I just do a little bit of church if I just pray the right prayer or if I just get baptized or if I just serve in this capacity or if I just come to church that's good I just mix in a little bit of God with my life. That's enough to divert the judgment of God away. 2 Timothy is going to describe this type of person as those who have a form of Godliness but denies power. Jesus in Matthew chapter 7 is going to describe such as on the day of judgment, those that come and stand before Him and say, Jesus, didn't we cast out demons in your name? And didn't we heal in your name? And didn't we do this in your name? Didn't we do that in your name? Didn't we do all these things in your name? And in the most terrifying passage in all of Scripture, He's going to say, Depart from Me. I never knew you. On the day you stand before God and give an account, the life that you built, no matter how good, or the church that you play, no matter how often, won't be enough. You will be judged. Listen, that's that's bad news if that's all there was. It's bad news if it ends with a pronunciation of judgment. But thank God it doesn't end there. Thank God He sent His Son to be judged on our behalf. Thank God that there's not just this judgment looming, but there's this Christ-centered grace that's offered. So Let's look at this grace. Let's look at this. Let's look at what we do. Let's look at... Um, Let's look, at, let's look at what we do. Number three. If we're to, if we're to experience this Christ-centered grace, the third point then, we, we have got to grieve over sin. Grieve over sin. And so 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 again, Daniel Daniel has a chance to speak, right? Belshazzar brings him in. He's like, I've heard of you. I've heard of all the wisdom you had. I've heard of all the things you did for my father. Um, if you can interpret this, um, I'll make you... Um, third in command, basically. I'll bless you. I'll give you all this stuff. Things will be well for you. And Daniel speaks, and he's like, "Keep that, but I do have something to say." And he speaks. He speaks of Nebuchadnezzar. I, I, I want you to see it again. I want you to I want you to see this again. Verse eighteen. I tried to do it a minute ago, I want to point it out again, that that this this is all about Nebuchadnezzar. Listen, O King, the Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. Because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before Nebuchadnezzar. Whom Nebuchadnezzar would, Nebuchadnezzar killed. Whom Nebuchadnezzar would, Nebuchadnezzar kept alive. Whom Nebuchadnezzar would, Nebuchadnezzar raised up. Whom Nebuchadnezzar would, Nebuchadnezzar humbled. But when Nebuchadnezzar's heart was lifted up and Nebuchadnezzar's spirit was so hardened that Nebuchadnezzar dealt proudly, Nebuchadnezzar was brought down from Nebuchadnezzar's kingly throne, and Nebuchadnezzar's glory was taken from him. Nebuchadnezzar was driven from among the children of mankind, and Nebuchadnezzar's mind was made like that of a beast, and Nebuchadnezzar's dwelling was with the wild donkeys. Nebuchadnezzar was fed grass like an ox, and Nebuchadnezzar's body was wet with the dew of heaven until Nebuchadnezzar knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom... He will. Daniel spent decades. I mean, this is a long time from Daniel 1 till Daniel 5. Long time on the timeline. Nebuchadnezzar had spent decades. I'm sorry, Daniel had spent decades pouring into Nebuchadnezzar, sharing the gospel with him, turning Nebuchadnezzar's heart to God, only to have a new king come in, and throw it all away. We don't it doesn't say this, but can you sense Daniel's grief as he's pointing back to a wicked king who repented and came to know the most high God. Daniel's grieving over how things are now. On a side note, can I just tell you that that your sin, my sin Affects everyone around us. Okay? So dads, when you sin, it's going to affect your marriage. It's going to affect your kids. It's going to affect everything around us. Okay, listen. Mom, dads, parents, kids, listen. When you choose to do what makes you feel good, thinking My life, my choice, it's only going to affect me. It's a lie. Sin affects everyone. And those closest to you will suffer. Daniel right here is broken. Belshazzar isn't. With brokenness, walls of sin are capable of falling. Without it, they never will. One of the saddest passages of Scripture is Romans 1. Where it talks about people who have a knowledge of God. Worship of things other than the Creator. That was repetitive sin, repetitive sin, repetitive sin. It says, the saddest verse. It says that God gave them over to their sins. He gave them over to their desires when there wasn't brokenness. See, in verse 6, we see that the coat, that the king's color changed. Um, he gets pale in the face. We see in verse 6 that his thoughts alarmed him. We see that his limbs give way. His knees begin to knock in fear as he sees this hand appear and begin writing on the wall. But none of that was enough. We can't just quake with fear at the consequence of our sin. We must grieve about what our sin does to the heart of God. And so at the day of Pentecost, as Peter stands up and he shares the Gospel, um, it says that the people were cut to the hearts. And what do we do? We're cut to the heart. See, grace starts with a heart grieved over how far we've, what we've sinned, how much we've sinned, and what our sin does to offend God. And number three, um, here's what we do. We grieve over our sin. Number four. Number four, we repent of our sin. We repent of our sin. So I know what you're thinking. You're thinking Christ-centered grace. Hadn't heard a lot of it. Okay, when you get into the grace part, that's, that's the part we, we like. That's what makes us feel the best. Where Where's the grace? Is there only fear and grief in this passage? I would say no. Because look what verse 5 says. Out of all this, it says, Immediately the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. God lovingly warns. He always does. He lovingly warns. Israel is in captivity here in Daniel 5. Why? Why? Because over and over God has lovingly been patient with a warning, turn from your sins, turn to me, repent of your sins, follow me. He's lovingly warned and warned and warned. In the book of Jonah, God sends Jonah to um, to Nineveh, and he says, pronounce judgment coming against this town, against this city. And Jonah walks through the city, saying, forty days and this city's gonna gonna perish, you face the wrath of God. It says that the king believed. He put on sackcloth and he repented, and the whole city was spared because they heeded the warning of God. John the Baptist comes onto the scene, saying, "Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand." John three sixteen For God so loved the world that he gave his son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish. There's the judgment. Would have life. And i already mentioned that Peter writes that God doesn't desire that any perish, but that all come to repentance. You see, it's His grace. It's His grace that warrants. It's His love that warrants. You may have read a poem in high school called The Highwayman. Okay. Here's the highwayman. Um, the the innkeeper's daughter is in love with the highwayman. All right, and all the girls here just kind of perked up because here's the love story. She's in love with the highwayman. The highwayman, he's kind of the good guy, bad guy, right? Like he's charming, everybody loves him, but he's got this bad side because he's like this robber, right? And so what the highwaymen would do, the soldiers, they, they keep trying to capture him, they keep trying to, to find him, they keep trying to arrest him, but they never can. And they, they figure out, though, that he loves the innkeeper's daughter. And they figure, out, they figure out that he would go to the inn, just so he could see her. He'd go to the inn at night, and that they would talk through the window as he expressed his love to her and her to him. So they decided, the soldiers decided... We're, we're going to use her as bait. So they go to the inn, and, and they, they um, put everybody in another room. They take the innkeeper's daughter, and they, and they tie her up. They tie her hands and her feet, and they set her at the window. And it's night. All all there is is candlelight. So when this highwayman's riding up, he sees her through the window, and he'll be drawn in it. Every, every gun, every musket, it's the old, it's the old time, is pointed at the road where the highwayman will be coming up, except for one. It's pointed at the innkeeper's daughter, who loves the highwayman. But hear the hooves of the horse as it approaches the inn. And when she's sure that he's close enough, she yells out, warning him. All the muskets go off, and there's smoke everywhere, everyone trying to cut him down. Only one bullet found its mark. It was the one aimed at the innkeeper's daughter, who gave her life so that the one she loved would be saved. Her warning, because of her love, cost her her life, and the highwayman rode off into the night uninjured. I would say that the handwriting on the wall is a warning meant to ultimately point us to another, which is the cross. You see, it's, dem- it's a demonstrated love. The cross is a demonstrated love warning us of the destruction we face if we do not repent and turn to Christ. It's both a warning of the greatest consequence of sin and the greatest act of love ever recorded. Mine, mine, p-r-s, is not just a warning for Belshazzar, but it's God's handwriting for us. It warns of judgment, but that's not the final handwriting. The final handwriting is on the cross, but it's written with brighter, bolder letters. It's written with the blood of Christ. It does more than warn. It beckons us to be saved. See, with Christ-centered judgment, um, the rebellious reap wrath no matter how secure their their presence seems to be. But with Christ-centered grace, the repentant reap grace no matter how bleak their past. With Christ-centered grace, listen, the Christ-centered grace that God gave us as His Son died on the cross, listen, The Christ-centered grace of Christ on the cross satisfies the wrath of God for us. It satisfies the judgment of God for us. Let me beg you, if you haven't, come to Jesus today. Believe that His death on the cross was enough to satisfy God's wrath for you. And turn from your sins and turn to a God who loves you, who warns you, and pays the way, paid it all, so that you could be saved today. Let's pray. God, we're grateful for your amazing grace. God, maybe we, maybe we just uh, appreciate that grace more today. Maybe You've saved us, and maybe we've forgotten. We've forgotten what You've saved us from. Thank You. Thank You for it. May we rest in that today. May we feel the weight of that. If we're believers, may we feel the weight of what You did for us and be reminded of that great love. Walk out of here today with hearts souls on fire as we experience that amazing grace all new and we return to our first love if need be God as we sing in a second may our worship reflect our appreciation of that amazing grace and God for the one here today for maybe several here today who have not given their life to You. God, I pray that they feel the weight of that judgment building and building and building. They feel the weight, the crushing weight of it. And that they repent and believe in You and experience the grace that we talk about. May they not rest today until they're resting in grace. That's all we have. That's all we need. We love you and we praise things in Jesus' name. Amen.